This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Nikki Crutchley, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Nikki has come in via New Zealand. Whereabouts in New Zealand? So I'm in Cambridge, which is kind of about two hours or about an hour and a half south of Auckland. So North Island. Yeah, nice little town. Yeah, lovely, lovely, yeah. beautiful country. Not that I've been there yet, which I'm highly embarrassed about. Do you know sometimes it's just the the opportunity hasn't happened yet? Yeah, well, you, know. you need to come over. I really do. Um, Nikki is the author of To the Sea, published in 21. Prior to this, Nikki self-published three police procedurals set in New Zealand and was a finalist in the Nio Marsh Awards for her first two books. Her latest book, In Her Blood, is compulsively readable, dark, twisty and atmospheric thriller. You know, sometimes, Nikki, when I read books a bit like this, I wonder whether the author is safe to be with. <laughs> I feel I've had a I had a conversation with someone about this on Saturday. Yeah. And everyone always like looks at my husband and thinks, are you okay? You know? But I think like crime writers are quite nice people, I think. And I feel they get all that um anger and frustration out on the page. But in real life we're actual really lovely gentle people, souls. Is my theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm interested in your self-publishing. Talk to me about how you got there. And was it the self-published books that won the award or was it the traditional published books that won the so, award? So, like I'd always wanted to be a writer from, if you ask me, from age seven. That's that's yeah. what, I, what I wanted to do. Um, but I didn't really come to it seriously until maybe eight years ago or so. Um, so... With the self-publishing, I guess it was just a, a dream. I wanted to write books. I wanted to see my book uh, on a bookshelf uh, uh, in, a, in a bookshop. Um, so I wrote my first book, Nothing Bad Happens Here. It's a small town crime mystery set in New Zealand. And I, so I always had that dream of being traditionally published. That was part of the dream, getting a contract, actually getting paid for writing, for writing wow. something. Yeah. <laughs> So I wrote Nothing Bad Happens Here. Uh, I did, I got it edited. I got it assessed. I sent it into a couple of um, of our big publishers here. We really only have a couple in New Zealand uh, these days. It got rejected, which wasn't really surprising for me. And then I kind of started looking into self-publishing and I didn't know anything about it, but there's heaps of stuff on, on the internet these days and Facebook support groups and things like that. Um, and I kind of, I didn't really tell anyone what I was doing. People were aware I'd started writing again. Uh, but I thought, okay, maybe I could do this. And there wasn't really a grand plan. I remember I couldn't have done anything without my husband, who's very tech savvy. So he did the whole layout for the book. And and I mean, we bought stock images for $25 for the cover and, and things like that. And I kind of thought if I could get 100 copies printed, 
And if I could sell those and get them in my local bookshop, I'd be, I'd be a happy girl. So I did that and they sold really well. And I printed off another hundred and another hundred and another hundred. And I did that. So I did that three times. So I had nothing bad happens here. No one can hear you and the murder club. So they were all self-published. How many um, in total did so you print? Probably around four to five hundred. So the numbers aren't yeah. huge. And yeah. um, and I never really had a lot of um knowledge around publicity. And if I wanted a publicist, I had to pay more money. So it was really um, yeah, it's it's sucked up the money big time. It did get uh finalists for, for this Naya Marshall Award. That's New Zealand's crime, crime and thriller writing award. So I've either been shortlisted or longlisted. Um for all my books. With, um, with your self-published books. Yeah, with yeah, with all of them, self-published and traditionally published. Um, so that was a real, um, just made me feel so much better about what I'd chosen to do because the whole self-publishing thing, you do take it on yourself. Um, there's no one saying, hey, your book looks amazing. I'm going to publish it for you. You have to kind of think that yourself, which is quite hard, you know, from a confidence point of view. Well, it's, it's hard on a lot of levels because, one, there's a cost, as you said, a yes, huge cost. cost yeah. yeah. Uh, two, it's a skill set that you don't have. Um, You're a writer, uh, right? I mean, yes. you know, producing a book. Yeah. 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 Um, and then there's distribution. Well, yeah, that's exactly. Another huge and factor. that's and that's probably where I I could have done better. I mean, if I had <laughs> the, the time and money, I could have done be, a, a lot of things. Um, yeah. But as soon as you introduce a distributor, um, the bookshop's taking some of your money. The distributor's yeah. taking some of your money, and then before you know it, you're not earning any money off off any of your books. And I mean, uh, none of us do this to be rich at all. Um, but it would be nice to break even or <laughs> or something like that. But during that time, I got an agent, um, Vicky Marsden from High Spot Literary here in New Zealand, uh, and she was the one that um, got me my two-book deal with HarperCollins Australia, which was, as you can imagine, an absolute dream come true. Little seven-year-old Nikki was jumping up and down. Actually, 42-year-old Nikki was jumping up and down. <laughs> How did that happen? How did you go from self-publishing to finding an agent, so, or did the agent find you? The agent found me, which is... Okay pretty great. So I just published my second book, No One Can Hear You. Uh, that was end of 2018. And Vicky, I think with the Nio Marsh Awards, so, you know, I've been getting a little bit of publicity, which was great. Um, and she said, would you like to be represented? And I said, hell yes. Um, so that was amazing because I almost, I kind of thought getting an agent was just as hard as getting a, a, a book deal, really. Oh, and we it don't can have be. Many. Yeah. It and we don't really be. have many um, agents in New Zealand. So yeah. Um, and Vicky's amazing. Uh, so we kind of started that journey. Um, and she started pitching a couple of my self-published books. Um, and we almost got there a few times, lots of, lots of almosts, um, but weren't really successful. Um, and this was in New Zealand and the UK. Uh, but we didn't quite get over the line in those acquisitions meetings. I published The Murder Club, my last self-published novel, uh, end of September 2020 uh, and I'd start I had an idea for a standalone book and I thought if I really wanted a publishing deal I should just stick with standalones it's easier for Vicky mm. to sell um, so I wrote to the sea uh, over a year with no pressure Vicky loved the idea it was it was a really nice time um, no book is ever easy to write but I look back and um yeah, it was all it was all good stuff writing to the sea. Um and Vicky sent it out um end of 2020. I'm getting my years mixed up now. That's what COVID does. But she sent it out at the end of the year. Um and 
Almost, we did get some rejections, very quick rejections, but within two weeks, HarperCollins Australia had come back and, and offered me a, a two-book deal, which was just, yeah, as I said, dream come true, absolute mm-hmm. dream come true, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was funny, it was great. I was very happy with To The Sea, but within an hour, I was like, oh, my goodness, I have to do this all again. Like, I have to write another book within mm-hmm. the year. But um, that's kind of a nice worry to have. Mm. Okay, so go back to to being seven and and wanting to write. What was what inspired you? Were you always a reader? Were you? Yeah, I feel I came into this world a bookworm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. My um, my mum lost me once when I was three or four, and she found me kind of under their bed reading, reading a book and reading. I, I always mention it, and I think inspiration-wise, Anne of Green Gables, the Anne of Green Gables series of books, I absolutely adored when I was little. And when I think back on it, like that was those kind of books absolutely transported me, like mm. absolutely. And I remember thinking when I got back into writing again, I want to be able to do that for people, you know, just mm. absolutely when they pick up my books, I want I want them to forget whatever troubles or housework or children. Um, and when they pick up my book, they just feel transported. So I always mention the Anna Green Gable series of books um, mm. when I was that age. And I often wrote, and I, I didn't even know it then, but it was probably fan fiction. And I, mm. and I used to write kind of stories set in that in that time. So the, my first writing was probably historical fiction mm. when I was like 9, 10, 11 years old which I've slightly stepped away from. My dad, I remember him bringing home one of those old manual typewriters, you know, that weigh like 20 kilos um, from his work. And I used to type up all my stories on them, like clicking away with two fingers. I used to do that. So how come it took you so long to write? What did you do in between? I reckon, like I think about it quite a lot. And I think if you asked me back then, I wanted to be a writer. Like, that's what I would say. I want to be a writer when I grow up. But I think it was probably a bit of a romantic idea, to be honest, and, and not so much as an, an ambition kind of thing. Well, I mean, I think, myself. yeah, I think the hmm. thing is with it, and we all know this, that it is it is aspirational, but also we don't see it as an occupation that you no. say out loud. Not, not a lot of people say that. And, and you know, let's face it, it's hard to crack. It doesn't it earn you much Absolutely. money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you not a, constantly feel yeah. like I'm cracking it. Like you never yeah. feel um, safe or, you know. You're you know? there. You never yeah, feel you're exactly. there. Yeah. yeah. So um, probably by the time I got to high school, maybe 14, 15, I've always been a reader, have always read. But the writing side of it dropped off. And I think maybe when you start studying <laughs> books mm. and things like that, any idea of writing kind of goes out the window. And I went to university and I studied sociology and English um, and I always remember if um, my now husband, we've been together for quite some time, went to uni together. And whenever we were walking along a beach or anything, I'd look up to houses and I'd be like, oh, one day I'd like to live by the beach and write a book. I, like it was always that dreamy kind of, and I never actually did anything <laughs> about it. Like you actually have to sit down and write. Yeah. So it wasn't really until I had my kids, um, they're 13 and 15 now, my girls, and I got back into writing by writing. What did them. you do in between? What was your career? Um, oh, so I did like a Bachelor of Social Sciences um, and we went on our OE and I worked at Oxford University. University Press and things like that. But I worked in um, the journal subscription department. I always think how impressive it sounds, but no, just worked in the journal subscription department. Um, So we travelled for a couple of years, but when I got home, I thought um, libraries would be quite a good option. So I ended up studying a, a diploma in library and information studies. 
So I did that for most of the time. And I ended up, without really meaning to, I ended up in specialist libraries. So I worked in a medical library at the hospital in Hamilton. Uh, and uh, when we went overseas again, I worked at the English Heritage Library. And when we came back home, I was an acquisitions librarian um, at Waikato University in Hamilton, which is actually where I studied. So I've never really been too far from books. <laughs> And, and I loved it. And then when I had my girls, I actually um, wanted to start working from home and I actually studied to be a proofreader, copy editor. And that's what I actually do now. I'm a freelance, a freelance proofreader. Mm. Did you study writing? Did you study how to write creative writing? Yeah, I did a creative writing course, just like a diploma, I guess, through one of our business studies, like a correspondence course. And it, it was good, but at that time, I didn't really know what I wanted to be writing. Like, should I focus on short stories? I was never really any good at them. Should I write novels? So I took a very broad one-year creative writing course that covered everything from novel writing, short stories, poetry, screenwriting, things like that. But it was all I really needed to really get back into it. And you're doing assignments every week and and um, and you're writing again and you're writing regularly. Um, mm. And the best thing that came out of it was the tutor, just getting, her name's Tina Shaw and she's a, a wonderful New Zealand novelist, um, and just getting her feedback every, you know, every week on assignments. And she actually ended up assessing all of my self-published novels. Just, um, and it's so good to have that, that feedback. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I was only talking to an author last night, a guy that I know, and I said it's really interesting. So many people I speak speak to, uh, because it's such a solitary occupation, as mm. you know, it's nice to be in a nice is not the right word, but I think it's good for writers, for a lot of writers to be in a reading group, to be, you know, uh, not a reading group, a writing group is what oh, I meant yeah. to say. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like your tutor, like the people in the class, yeah. where I feel that that would be motivational as well as a learning experience, you know. You, it you, is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you're right about that. And even when I got into writing and finished the course, yeah. um, I did go back to being quite solitary. Um, but as the years have gone on, I've met other authors and I've got a good friend in Cambridge and she's actually a poet. But just having a friend who knows kind of what you're going through mm. um, with rejection, mm. uh, good stuff and bad stuff. Mm. Um, like my husband's great and my family's great. Of but course. It, it's really um 
someone else kind of knows the industry and knows what you go through. Um, yeah, it's so yeah. good to have. Very important. I think so too. And I think to be around like-minded people sometimes is really important. I'm just thinking about your your path. It is so unusual. I'm, I've interviewed many authors, as you know, because yeah. I know you listen to the podcast. Yeah. Not many have come from a self-published path, you know, whether that's the path they took first and come yeah. to this. However, there is this path, and I would like to talk to you about it because I don't mm. know the answer, because there's a surgence, and I'm sure it's the same in New Zealand. Mm. There is, without a doubt, a surgence in this country of female writers. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And the genres of crime has, have been really overtaken by women yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, historical fiction, contemporary fiction, it's been very much like if you look at the top 10, more often than not, it's female writers rather than mm. male writers. Now, a lot of the writers that I speak to say, oh, and then I had my children and I thought it's time ah, to write. Yes. I have probably heard that. You know, and and I'm going to say this, 80% of the time when I'm speaking to female writers, that How that was the motivation yeah. to start writing. Now, when I look at that, I think, oh, my God, did you choose the most difficult time in your life to start writing? I mean, I can't imagine that it's, you know, free-flowing, creative, having two newborns or, you know, a newborn <laughs> and a toddler. <laughs> isn't and that think, funny? Isn't that yeah. funny? I have heard that a lot. Well, I, at least, I remember when I had my first child, my daughter, I didn't read for like a year. No, because so, so you would have been fatigued. I listen to your podcast a lot and I have heard people and yeah. I know another author, Vanda Simon, here in New Zealand. Yeah. And she wrote her debut um, when her when her little baby was taking naps and I just take my hat off to them all. Because, Absolutely. Like I was a mother when I got back into it, but my girls had started school and that's kind of the reason, like I'd got rid of mine. <laughs> and and that's when I started. Well, I'm starting to think, is it the endorphins? Is it the hormonal change? Because it can't possibly be that you have quiet time. I can't even tell you because um, that's not me. And I like, I remember when I had my babies and I couldn't even. Oh, gosh. No, well, I, as I said, I couldn't read. And so I couldn't imagine stringing together thoughts to make a novel. I, I just think that that is absolutely amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same, same. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to the bottom of that one day. Keep yeah, listening. Yeah, because right? yeah, it is interesting. I've yeah, it's very it's really, interesting. Yeah. There might be some scientific theory behind that, actually. We need, we need to get someone to do their PhD on it oh. or something, somebody. He's exactly. got to do some research yeah, yeah. work for us. Okay, so when you sit down and you say that, you know, you studied writing and you mm. um, you did that for a year, then there's the discipline of getting that story, that crazy story in your head, yeah. and then getting that out on paper. Mm. Tell me the approach to that because that is, I think, another element of writing. So you've got the story, you've got the craft, but then you need yeah. to have the discipline. Yeah, and that's the thing I feel I have the littlest of. I mean, it obviously gets done. I'm writing my sixth book. I That is the hardest, hardest part for me is to getting my bum on the seat mm -hmm. and starting to write. And it has been, and it hasn't got any easier over the books. But I tell I kind of have to trick myself into sitting down and starting to write. But I kind of tell myself once I get into it, and it only takes maybe a paragraph to get into it and I am away. Like an hour is gone and it feels like five minutes. 
So a lot of my daily writing is um, talking myself into, <laughs> into sitting down and actually writing. And I think that's the same for a lot of a lot of writers. It's it's the sitting down and doing it part. Yeah. Do you give yourself a word count or a, an I hour? Don't. Like, what, what? I, I figure if I'm in my seat and I've started typing, that's that's a win. That's a win <laughs> that's for the right. day. Um, and also, like I, I'm a freelance proofreader, so I work for myself. So the proofreading work always comes first because that's what. Yeah earning my money kind of thing. But if I can write a couple of hundred words, you know, if I've had a really busy day and I can sit down and even just write a couple of hundred words, that's winning. Yeah. Um, but on a writing day, I might do, you know, a couple of thousand, which is amazing. As long as yeah. I'm just slowly, slowly going through it. It's when work gets really busy and I haven't sat down with my book for a week or so that I start thinking, you know, the guilt starts and things like that. Yeah, but um, as I said, it, it does get done. So I probably don't stress about it as much as I used to. So Yeah. So your writing style is very much crime. It's very much at, mm. at, atmospheric. It's dark. Talk to me about that genre and why that. And would you differ? Like, would you think at other point you would write something different? When I was um, in my teens, I read a lot. I read more varied stuff than I do now, to be honest. But I always read Patricia Cornwell's books and love them. James them. Patterson, Stephen King, that kind of thing, as well as other stuff. And when it came to write a novel, I actually had a go at a historical novel. And I used to love, well, I do love historical fiction. And I don't know really, I, I guess I just, the idea that I had was historical fiction. And I was going to set it in New Zealand the year the Beatles came to New Zealand. I can't remember when it was now, early 60s, I think. So I, I had this idea of these four female friends and set against the backdrop of the, the Beatles coming. Um, very different to what I write now. And I started writing and research has never been my, my strong point. And you really need to be a good researcher if you're writing historical fiction. And it was very like, I mean, you need to know everything. You need to know the cars they drove, the cigarettes they smoked, the alcohol they drank, um, just just everything. Oh, and also fiction, it job. might be called fiction, but it has to yeah. be historically accurate. It does. It yeah. so does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just found it was stop, start, stop, start. It was just too much for me. Um, and I know some people love that research process, um, but that wasn't for me. And that's when I switched to crime, not that I'm a, not that I know a lot about killing people but I I've just written so uh, read so many um, police procedurals over the years so many and crime novels and I kind of felt like I knew the recipe almost uh, you know you have a dead body and you have some kind of police officer or amateur sleuth in my case with my first book I had a journalist to solve the crime so I kind of felt because writing a book is a big thing right stepping you know doing especially your first book, um, and having that kind of little bit of guidance where I needed a dead body, I needed a crime, I needed someone to solve it. I kind of felt like it was a ABC, you know, mm. kind of thing. Mm. Um, and so I guess that's what attracted me to crime. And I've also liked the whole puzzle behind it, uh, mm. the whole who done it, and also the why done it, exploring why why people do what they do. Yeah, that's interesting to me. It really is because you still have to do research around murders. You do. I mean, you still have to get that part right, don't you? You do. And yeah. um, I'm more of a write and research, write and research. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I have um, now, um, now that I've written a couple of books, I actually have a, a police detective who helps me with any procedural stuff. But my. Uh, so To the Sea and In Her Blood, my latest, they're probably more psychological thrillers than any kind of procedural. So there's yeah. that step away from um, 
detectives and things like that. And actually, you want the police to stay out of it because the story is a lot more interesting when it's, um, you know, with the victim and with the perpetrator and, and, and how that all works. So I don't didn't need as much research on that side of it. But there's always little things. I'm always asking people questions. Mm. And I find it very interesting that if I have a question, I'm like, oh, who would know about erosion, coastal erosion um, for To The Sea? And I'm like, oh, my brother-in-law is a scientist and he knows all about that. And mm. and just little things like that. And it's amazing how many people you know that can answer just little questions for you. Yeah. Mm. One of the things that struck me with um, In Her Blood too is uh, the place. Yeah, it's set. Um, I love talking about it. I'm a little bit obsessed with it. But um, In Her Blood is set probably I'd say 95% of the book is set at this old 100-year-old hotel. And I've called it the Gilmore Hotel, but it's actually based on the Waitomo Hotel. Um, so I don't know if your readers will be familiar with the glowworm caves in New Zealand. There's a little place called the Waitomo yeah. Caves, and lots of tourists go there um, and look at the glowworms and things like that. And it's a tiny, tiny little settlement about two, two and a half hours south of Auckland. And there's like a campground, a supermarket, a couple of restaurants, B&Bs and things like that and up on top of the hill there's this uh, huge old hotel and it's over 100 years old and it's called the Waitomo Hotel and I actually my hometown where I grew up is Otrahonga and that's about 15 minutes um, north of Waitomo so I grew up with the the Waitomo Hotel and it was the kind of place where beautiful old Edwardian building I think and um, like white with the lovely orange roof and we used to go, it was a hotel and a restaurant. And we used to, I probably went there twice when I was little and had special occasion dinners for whatever reason. And in my final year of high school, we had our leavers dinner there. So it always been in my life a little bit. And I remember even in seventh form um, going off to the bathrooms um, and getting a little bit lost and ending up in maybe the staff quarters. And it's a real rabbit warren kind of place. And there's just a feel about it. There's a real vibe about it. Um, says my over overactive uh, imagination, but it closed down like 10, 15 years ago and it's, it's supposed to be haunted. Like seriously, it's the best mm. setting for a mm. psychological thriller. But when I kind of settled on an idea, I kind of thought, you know, I had the idea of the two sisters and these two different timelines. Um, and when I kind of, I kind of liked the idea of setting it at um, an old homestead and I just started Googling places in New Zealand just to kind of anchor my idea and the Waitomo Hotel came up and I was like, oh, that's perfect. Um, and so um, over the last year or so, uh, I, I've been up there and had a look around outside and I actually contacted the owners and they let me look around inside, which was just wow, so good. It was amazing. Yes. Um, yes. So they were moving furniture out one day, I think, and they said, feel free to come up and have a look. So my mum and my daughter and I, I went oh, up wow. and had a look around and it was so good. And seriously... Like, I'm not hugely into ghosts and things like that, but I thought if any place is haunted, <laughs> this That's place has point. to be, yeah. I like how very often in books the place, you know, look, if you look at many writers like mm. Tim Winton and oh, so many, mm. where the place is all almost a character. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And for me, 100%, like setting yeah. for me, um, and even with my other books, with my kind of small town uh, New Zealand books, um, setting and place is is hugely important, and it just brings like a feeling to the book, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And when I when I'd chosen Waitomo Hotel, it brought to mind um, the Overlook Hotel and Stephen King's The Shining and um, Mandalay um, out of uh, Daphne Demore as Rebecca, mm -hmm. and I just love the idea of a, a building 
contributing to like the menace and the tension and suspense of my book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little bit obsessed with the hotel now. <laughs> oh, well, Nikki, we're out of time. Great conversation. Yeah, uh, it's great. a really good book. It's called Thank In you. Her Blood. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.